Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Are you trying to master the game of life without success? There are secrets and strategies to living your best life. We'll share some of them with you on today's show. Take advantage of this series to become an expert at relationships. All relationships. It's time to live the life that you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Sandra Reich. Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reese, a show about living your best life possible. Uh, so every now and then I get an email or someone writes to me about a topic to do. And today's episode is on a topic that came from someone who wrote to me. Um, they wrote to me telling me they telling me that they found themselves doing a lot of self-destructive behavior and they wondered about that. So, you know, we are at the beginning of 2018 and we all start off with good intentions, right? At the end of the year, we're going to go to the gym more. We're going to eat properly. We're going to, you know, spend more time with family members or whatever you've committed to. And then, unfortunately, as we well know, and the gym gym phenomena really shows this, is there's like a huge spike in memberships in January. And by February, March, uh, the gym is the one who's had the last laugh because uh, most of those members drop out. So it does seem that there is something a little bit self-destructive about human nature because why would we um, do things to ourselves or not do things to ourselves that could hurt us? So if it's a question of doing things, why do things that hurt you? And if it's a question of not doing things that could help you, why not? It seems so simple when you think about it, right? Just do things that are good for you and don't do things that are bad for you. And there's the show. Yeah, no. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. And there's definitely something, and, you know, I can definitely speak on this for myself, too. There's definitely a dark, I don't know if it's a dark side, but a a self-destructive side in each one of us. um, That especially if we're feeling a little blue, which at this time of year, certainly where I live here in Canada, there's not a lot of sun. People start to get a little bit more down. There's a very big temptation to do self-destructive behaviors. But why? Why? So before I get into that, let me just say that if you'd like to join the conversation, uh, you can call us at 1-866-472-5792. If you have anything you want to add or any questions, all calls are welcome. Um, If you're shy and you prefer not to do that and you want to send a text message, that's okay too. 514-796-4357. 514-796-4357. Or if you prefer to send an email, it's info at helpforanxietydepression.com. So I guess the first question is, what is a self-destructive behavior? Uh, some are very obvious, some are not as obvious. Um, and why do we feel compelled to do these kinds of behaviors? Could it be that when we're feeling fear and out of control, Uh, maybe even guilt, maybe even shame, doing something self-destructive, even if it's self-destructive, the fact that we're doing it to ourselves gives us a locus of control. Could it be? I don't know. Um, That's where I'd love to hear your opinions on this. It seems to me that one of the things that we have to do to be careful about self-destructive behavior is the first question that I want to put out here for this segment is I'd like you to think about the week you've had right now. And maybe even the day you've had today, and I'll do the exercise with you, which is how many things today did you do that you could qualify as acts of self-love? And how many things did you do that could be considered acts of self-hatred? So let me, let me give examples. Um, 
so I went for a walk outside. I think that would fall into a self-love category. Um, internal dialogue, sometimes critical, self-hatred category. Um, what about you? What are you doing in a given day? I think that the moment we can acknowledge our behaviors as being either self-love or self-hatred, we have the option to change them. But we have to first acknowledge whether they're self-love or self-hatred. So I guess um, eating too much, drinking too much, um, too much time on the internet, (laughs) maybe, excuse me, it's that time of year, Uh, maybe even binging on Netflix, although really fun, can end up being very self-destructive because uh, you end up feeling pretty down after you watch too, too much TV. And again, I love TV, so don't misunderstand me. Um, but there's things we can do to excess. So I guess the first question we have to ask ourselves is, if it is an act of self-hatred, and I'm submitting to you that doing things that are going to hurt you, whether we like this or not, are acts of self-hatred. So... If we're doing an act of self-hatred, so my favorite examples I usually give is, I always give the example of eating brownies. I don't actually eat brownies anymore, but I sure used to. Um, So let's imagine that every day I decided to make a plate full of brownies and eat them up, which could feel very loving in a way because they taste good. But I think we all know that would be an act of self-hatred because it's not healthy and I'd be eating too many sweets and I'd probably feel really lousy and lethargic after. Now, step one is I got to acknowledge whether it's an act of self-hatred. So let's say I do acknowledge, okay, it's an act of self-hatred. Well, the reason that strategy works so well is that then I got to ask myself, do I want to do acts of self-hatred towards me? And then comes up a very, very big psychological question. Why do I want to do acts of self-hatred towards me? Um, So this is the thing. Um, That's a hard question to ask, and it's a very hard question to answer. Why would someone ever want to do uh, acts of self-hatred towards themselves? Well, we could hypothesize that maybe sometimes we're not feeling very good about ourselves, and we want to pay. We want to pay. Maybe we haven't asserted ourselves enough in a relationship that we needed to assert ourselves in. Maybe we weren't true to our value system. Maybe um, we're not happy with the way we're managing our life, our lives. So doing an act of self-hatred is a good way at at punishing yourself. But of course, it never looks like that because you're eating the brownies or you're watching TV or you're having that, you know, third cocktail. It doesn't look like you're hating yourself. But I guess one of the reasons I thought it was such a good idea to do this show is it is hating yourself because you're not doing things that are going to fuel you. You're doing things that are going to hurt you. So we have to also work on the concept of honesty Now, many of you listening right now might be saying, what's wrong with having a drink? What's wrong with having a brownie? What's wrong with watching Netflix? I agree. There's nothing wrong with these things if they're not going in excess. And you know the truth. Have you been avoiding things in your life? Have you been avoiding taking care of things? What's that all about? What's going on? So, you know, again, self-destructive behavior is quite complex, Um, We know that through research, we know that self-destructive behavior brings uh, a host of emotions, fear, feeling out of control, guilt, 
and even shame. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Georgia Dow has arrived, and we definitely want to get her feedback on this. We know those feelings come up for people, um, feeling that you're, 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 you're feeling fear and you're feeling out of control. You're feeling guilty. You're feeling shameful. Why would you do a self-destructive behavior at that point? Well, it numbs you. It just numbs you. Okay, I'm going to pause that thought. I'm going to welcome Georgia to the show. Georgia, Happy New Year. Thank we you. haven't seen you here since the new year. That is true. Happy New Happy Year. New it's year absolutely too. great to see you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for showing up for Straight You're Talk. Welcome. I appreciate it. And I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. You've just come from the office. You've seen probably eight, nine clients today. How many of those clients partook in self-destructive behaviors, well, honestly? First I, want, first, I want to say, I think that this is a wonderful topic. I'm so happy that you are bringing this up because rarely... Do people even know what their self-destructive behavior is? No one's going to say, you know what, today I'm going to try to exactly. ruin my life. That's what I was saying. Say it's, you know, we're not honest. We don't deal with that. Right. We lie to ourselves. That's what I said. And you came right at the time. And such an important topic to help people get that I can do better and I have to be a little bit more honest with what am I doing. If I'm stabbing myself in the foot... At least I can say, you know what? I'm stabbing myself in the foot. Well, I agree with you. And the topic, I wish I could take credit, but it came from a listener. Um, and she's struggling with this. And I said the same thing. I said step one is you have to ask yourself if the behavior you did was self-love or self-hatred. You mm-hmm. have to be honest with yourself. Yes. It feels like self-love to give me brownies, but it's not self-love. It's right, self-hatred. Right. Or that might be one brownie, yeah, not one 12 brownie. brownies, exactly. right? Like there's a point where you're like, okay, now I'm no longer even enjoying this brownie, yet I am still eating. What is happening? So, so why so do people I, fall? Yeah, sorry. I, sorry, I didn't even answer your question that you'd asked me. I apologize, yeah. but I was so excited with when, when I looked at the topic. So I'm happy like, to have you such here. Such an important topic, and um, I would say, like, really, like a lot, a lot of. I think a lot of people that are not even like just people I know engage in self-destructive behavior. I don't even know if all of us do. Even if I think to myself, every once in a while, I'm like, you know, playing Candy Crush instead of doing like my taxes or something that I have to get done, and I'm thinking <laughs> to myself. What am I doing? This is not helpful to me. I have to do the tax. At some point, they, they come and get you if you don't do yeah, the taxes. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah, that's what I so, heard, too. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> so, you know, I think that we all do. I do. I think we all do it. I think in a given it. day, we can always isolate things that we did that weren't yeah. with love. So yes. my question was, how many clients today would you say talked about behaviors that you felt were self-destructive? I'm just curious in a say, given day. I would say, well, today, I think I saw nine people, and I would say... Four, five, some of them dealt with other issues of, of you know, uh, that they were dealing with that, that we didn't cover those topics to that. But I think that most people deal with this all the time. Why is it so seductive to do self-destructive behaviors? Like, why do people, like the person who approached me about doing this show, she found herself doing self-destructive behaviors mm-hmm. and she knew she was doing self-destructive behaviors, yeah. but she was doing them anyways. Right. Why? Well, I think that one is that we are hedonistic by nature and we think about the now. Yeah. And not the later. So often, um, me, today me, screws over tomorrow me. Okay. They say it's oh, I like lovely, that expression. Right? Today me, screws over tomorrow yes. me. Yes, so I pay the price later, but we have such short... We have such- new, I missed you, Georgia Dow, and your Georgia-isms. That was great. <laughs> I like that. But I, I think it's very true, is that we... We don't think about how tomorrow me is going to feel about something. And so we give it always to tomorrow me. Okay. But then tomorrow me shows up and says, what the hell? Why did you do this to me? And now I'm, I'm having to suffer, pay a price that happened to me before that. And so because of that need to avoid, so I think a lot of it is through avoidance of distress or uncomfortable feelings or things that we don't enjoy, that we're doing things that will really make us pay a price later to that. 
Well, so there's, so there's an avoidance factor, and mm-hmm. like your candy crush to the taxes, I get that. But how about if there's no taxes, but yet you find yourself playing too many video games or mm-hmm. too much Netflix or yeah. drinking that third yeah. cocktail every night? Yeah. What What's going on? Well, there's 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 probably so many. Like There's probably like, you know, again, like probably eight to ten different reasons of where it is. It could be that a lack of self-love. So sometimes we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not listening to that's, ourselves. That's really actually where part of where I want to go. Is yeah. what, what do you mean? Well, I think that we often are maybe unconsciously angry or upset at ourselves. Yeah. Or even more dangerous is we could be angry or upset at someone else and now we're punishing ourselves mm. to get to them. Does that happen? Right? Oh, I see that a lot. I see that a lot in parent-child relationships or teenagers and parent relationships or couple relationships where one is unconsciously or consciously angry at another person and so they're going to take it out on themselves. And a lot of people that are caretakers are too worried about confrontation or making someone else uncomfortable and so because they have no outlet, they end up engaging in a lot of self-destructive behaviors to deal with it. So are you saying that if I'm angry at someone in my life mm-hmm. and I'm not dealing with it, mm-hmm. I might actually start doing self-destructive behaviors? Yeah. Is my hope unconsciously that they'll notice and come rescue me? Yeah. Perfect, Sandra. That's really? spoken like a, a wonderful therapist. <laughs> yes. Yes. That they'll notice that they'll ask what's wrong, that they'll change it, that they'll care, that they'll see me, that they'll validate me. They um, might even change their behavior because... Hope they, I think that that's it's never going to happen. Hope. But it's not the right reason to, to yeah. have... No, it's not going to work out that way. But I think that a lot of times it's it's from a place of pain. It's not from a place of, of happiness. We don't do this as from a place of happiness. So, you know, and the bottom line, and it comes up all the time on the show, is that pain is a part of life. So what are we supposed to do with our pain? I mean, you know, numbing it with alcohol or drugs or mm-hmm. Candy Crush or brownies or Netflix yeah. seems like very common. Yeah. So what else can I do with my pain? Like from a therapeutic standpoint, what is the advice? Well, like uh, coming from therapists, we, you know, I really, if you have someone that you can speak to or talk about it or confront it or deal with it, and there's, you know, everyone has their own way. So, you know, coming from therapists, I'm biased. And I think that speaking with someone that you trust or going to seek therapy are wonderful ways to be able to deal with pain and hurt, but also speaking to the person that you might be hurt with or even journaling, exercise, um, taking care of yourself, listening to someone you don't even know, like just listening to your own needs. Because some people will say to you, right, how many people have said to you, I don't even know what I want. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Because they haven't bothered to look that deeply, so they're they're completely unaware of even where these things come from, and and sometimes they come from very specific places. Mm, that's really well stated. I think that sometimes, uh, from what I've heard from people, is sometimes if they feel that they don't have a voice, yes. or if they are going to say something to their partner or somebody, and it's not going to be heard, what are they supposed Ooh, to do? That's then? a very that's a very good statement to that. Say that again. If they don't have a voice and they feel like they can't say what they need to say to their partner, their child or whoever, what are they to do? So they turn it on themselves. But what are they to do if they can't speak? I I love that. I'm sorry I'm cold and touching you. But um, it's okay. you're nice and warm. Yeah, so, probably for the wrong reasons. I'm feeling under the weather today. <laughs> okay, stop touching now. There we go. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think figured that, I'd give you a warning. <laughs> but it's this very, is live radio, live people. Live radio. I think that that's very true. I think that it is a very difficult point that the person that you are hurt about will not hear it or won't give you the answer that you need or hope for. Or maybe even they've passed away and they're not there. Oh, boy. 
you know, or they moved do away, or it's an ex that's gone on, and you want to you want to send that letter, send that text. You don't actually need someone else to make you feel better. That's oh. an internal process. Oh, it's nice if you have someone that will listen and care, but it's not necessary, right? I know that you do some exercises for people that may not have someone that they can talk to or might have gone through something that they know that they're not going to deal with. And how? what are some of the things that you give? There's some that you need to usually do with a therapist. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's I, it's such a good point that you're saying is, and it brings up the fact that you don't need such an important point. You don't need the person to be there. I mean, I like writing a letter that I you're like not going to send. Yes. Let's say that again. I like writing a letter you're not going to send. Yes. Because if you're hoping for a reply that's going to be beneficial, you may not get that and that right. could cause more damage. But writing it itself, why? Now, a lot of people say this to me. So I'll ask the question that all of my clients ask me is, I can think it in my head why write down uh, a bloody well, letter. That takes so much time, Georgia. I don't want to write it. I, I don't want to go through that. Why can't I just think it? It's a great question, and it's a cliffhanger. We're going to take a break, and I will answer that question when we come back on Straight Talk with Sandra Rich. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. Join the therapist who is affectionately known as the couple whisperer, Sandra Reich, on her famous couple retreats and change your life forever. Sandra offers couple retreats in beautiful locations several times a year that can radically change your love life. Couples describe her retreats as life-changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring your intimacy to a new level and rediscover excitement and joy. Find out more at HelpForAnxietyDepression.com or call 514-796-4357. We all want love and safety. Now you can have it. Call 514-796-4357 or HelpForAnxietyDepression.com. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety, featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. So we're back. And Georgia, right before the break, was asking me the uh, question about writing a letter. Why would it make a difference to write a letter as opposed to just saying in your mind, oh, my God, Georgia, it makes a huge difference. Have you ever done it? I have. It's interesting because the first time that I really journaled, like I did, you know, you have to do it for school when you're becoming a therapist and other things. But I remember once I was thinking through something in my head and it was really bothered, bothering me. Yet when I wrote it out, um, not only did I, did I feel better and come to a solution, but I was able to go back to sleep. And it, it is a really big difference between writing and thinking. And often we think um, that we're, we're able to think our way out of it, but often we think our way more into more um, stress than out of it. Yeah. So why do you, okay, so you found it worked for you. It did. I find it's worked for me. Yeah. So there's something about writing it down that's yes. very powerful. Yes. It's funny, when you write the letter, it almost feels like you did send it. You, you know what, you're, you're writing something down. It's in your own hand. You're then having to read it. And the writing is forcing, so the limbic system is that part that's very emotional. And often when we're going through cycling thoughts, it's all limbic system, which is your anxiety system. And you're just revving through all of those thoughts. The act of physically writing it and thinking about how to form your letters and dealing with it is forcing the analytical part of your brain to be part of the process. And it's slow. And that also allows you to feel validated. You're reading this, your own pain in words, and that makes you feel like, oh, I get it. Mm. And that often makes you feel better because you're able to look at this more analytically than limbically. Limbically, you often dig yourself in deeper and analytically, you go, you know what? As I look at this, it's not as bad as what I thought it was. Right. And that feeling is validating, soothing, and often it also kind of allows you to get to a better solution. Yeah. So actually um, writing something to someone who can't listen to you would help you to work through it as opposed to doing a self-destructive behavior. Yes. Yes. Do you think that uh, – these are leading questions of it because I, I – think I know the answer. Do you think that once someone spirals into self-destructive behaviors, it's like a slippery slope that you keep going? Like it's almost like the famous diet example. Like mm-hmm. I took this much of ice cream. Ah, what the heck? I'll just Might eat the well whole eat all tub. of it. Yeah. Right. So what what's that all about? Because it's not really very logical. No, but usually these are things that feel good <laughs> for the time being. And they might have even worked at the beginning, right? Like if you're using alcohol, you're not thinking about something else. You might even feel good at first and then at a certain point in time um, that it, it no longer feels good. But it had at one point maybe worked a little bit. You know, you had that sugar rush and it felt a little bit better. And while you were eating, you weren't worrying. And so that felt kind of good. And then you continue in hopes that you will get back to where it once was, even though it doesn't feel that way anymore. Right. And I think that also we... Um, when we start to go through acts of self-hatred, now I'm angry at myself and now I'm going to do it again because I'm upset. So often, sometimes we do it also for punishment, that we're going to do this to hurt ourselves. And then there's also addictive. Yeah, I think that's the next area I want to go to is the addictive nature of this. Right, right. So 
it is addictive. It's interesting because often people in relationships with people with addiction right. can find themselves doing addictive behavior. Isn't that oh, kind of interesting? That is really interesting. Ooh, why I do think you we think hit that, upon something Yes, there. yes. Well, why, why do you think that that can often happen to that? I never thought of it before, but now that I think about it is, you know, I very much, Georgia, submit to the belief that you your partner is a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. And I know people listening, including me right now, are like outraged, like, what? My partner is nothing like like me. Okay. But you see, we have to get really to be a detective because your partner are hidden and lost parts of yourself. So your partner is really easygoing and you're very type A. You go, I'm nothing like that. I'm not easygoing. Well, there's a part of you that was easygoing and you let it go and you went into a type A and now you're resentful towards them for being easygoing. So it seems to me that what we just hit upon is addicts would be drawn to addicts. Yes. And sometimes it's also communal. Right. Like we do this, like this is something that we share together. We, you know, I've had lots of my clients say, but this is when we relax and we bond through the alcohol or through the drugs or through that. And so this is something that we do as our social thing instead of, you know, exercising or doing something else. The same thing can happen. A lot of people that smoke say, but that's when I go outside and I talk with other people. So I don't want to stop that because that's my break of being able to leave and chat with others. I bond during that time, which is also really interesting because you're now like a partner that can pull you out. And sometimes a partner can pull you back because they may not even, and we can talk about this too, right? Is that they may not want you to stop, right? Right? Yes. Yes. What do you mean? Well, they may not want you to stop one because then they lose their drinking partner or their eating partner or their smoking partner. And two, you get healthy and I might be left without a partner. Oh, so, okay. So we've entered a whole new hemisphere here. So if I start to do acts of self-love instead of acts of self-hatred, now what we're, we arrived at is my partner might get nervous because yeah. I'm getting healthy. And if I get healthy, even if you, the partners shine me down, I may realize this is not acceptable and this is not good enough for me. Yeah. So it's a kind of what you're getting at is, it's almost like maybe if you can't beat them, you join them. So if you're with someone self-destructive, you either find your way to involvement or back into self-destructiveness with them. I like that. It's like I a, like that. It reminds yes. me a little bit. I was a bartender for many years. Yes. And I don't love alcohol, but I drank alcohol a lot in those days. And the reason why is if you're with a lot of drunk people. Yeah. You kind of need to have some alcohol in you. Right. I know no, this is sounding very, really bad, but. <laughs> But if not, it's a very dry, long day. And very, they're very annoying. Right. right? Drinkers can be <laughs> so really were, annoying. So you were drinking as a way of just preservation. That's right. Self-preservation. <laughs> but I'm, I think it's a great example. Yes. It's like you kind yes. of have to, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. So you join into something and you can get yourself into trouble. Luckily, I never had a real propensity for alcohol. Yeah. But that could have gotten me in trouble too. It could have if you did have a propensity for exactly. alcohol. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yes, for yeah. sure. And I think that sometimes people say is that, you know, they love me with the beer glasses on, but they may not when their beer glasses are off. Oh, God. That's so true. <laughs> so That's so, so they true. may also be worried about what would, you know, sober this person think of me. Or maybe I don't like me, and so I don't want you to really see the real me. And I think that sometimes we hide behind addictions. Oh, sometimes self-destructive behavior is an excuse. 
I have this alcohol problem, so I can't get this job, or I can't go for that raise, or I Oof. can't get healthy. So sometimes we might even use it as a crutch. So it's your what you're really getting at is like it's fear based. It's always fear based. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it must yeah. be fear based then. Yeah. So I've as long as I have this problem, I can't take care of this other thing in my life. So. That's even a different one. Say that one again, because that's as very as, true. As long as I have yes. this problem, I can't take care of this thing in my life. I, so it's, I think that is so well said. You know what? I think we're arriving at some new things. So kind of new theory, mm-hmm. self-destructive behavior lets you off the hook. Yes. And I have, I actually have cases of people that are having, dealing with a certain anxiety and they're not, they're, they're doing the work, but they're not getting better. And, and we've gotten to the point where I believe that it's because the marriage is in trouble. Uh, and they don't want to have to deal with the marriage being in trouble. So then we can focus on this anxiety. And without the anxiety, it's like that third person, right? Without the anxiety, then we're going to have to deal with the marriage. And I don't want to. So okay. So, so we have to, so this time you have to repeat that again. So yours, because now we're on another thing that people are very interested. In. So you're saying anxiety can serve a function to not dealing with your marriage. I, I believe that, or, or dealing with another problem, I would say even more generally that sometimes we use self-destructive behavior in order to avoid having to deal with a problem that we really need to deal with, the underlying problem that is something else. And maybe it's even a problem with yourself that you're using this to mask. So the anxiety is the, um, it's the excuse. It's, or the it's, masking, it's the masking event that we can focus all our energy on instead of dealing with the thing that we really don't want to look at. So I can't help it, but I can't help but slip into, this reminds me also, um, as you know, we see a lot of children. Sadly, we see a lot of children in the clinic. And you and I are very much of the belief that we work with the parents, not the child. I can't help but feel that this is very similar. That if my child has a problem, then I don't have to deal with my breaking up marriage. So the child yes. unconsciously plays out a problem. Do, do we not see that all the time? All the time. So isn't that sort of like... Um, if we bring it back to the show topic, it's the self-destructive behavior is not dealing with the problem in your marriage. You bring your child into your bed because they're anxious, for example, and it becomes a slippery slope. Child gets worse and worse. Marriage doesn't get dealt with. So you can even use your children unconsciously. No one intends to yeah. as self-destructive behavior yes. and the child will pay the price too. And the child will pay the How price How often do you it. see that? Honestly, like that's a big one. It's a very, very common one. A lot of times I see someone come into the clinic and they're, they're not the one that are dealing with the problem. And it's, it's what do really you mean? hard. They're, they don't have the issue. The issue is the family or the marriage or the interrelationship in between. And, you know, they've made someone the patient X. That, that fix them when it really is a whole systemic issue that's not being dealt with. And I think that we use sometimes self-destructive behavior as an excuse to be able to get out of really coping. Because, And again, it's, it's not because you don't want to. I think that we unconsciously don't want to deal with it because it's too painful or too upsetting or you know, I don't want to deal with the fact that I'm abusive or I have an alcohol problem, right? Like, you know, like we're, we're using other things to be able to not deal with other pains that we have, but it comes from anxiety and pain, like you said. So, yeah. So how do you, uh, I have another question after this one, but let's just start with how do you, when you meet a client, uh, let's say parents, for example, or a family, how do you figure out what's really going on? How do you do your work, Georgia? I, well, I think that part of it is intuitive, so I'm not really sure how I do it, but you can always, like after a while, you can tell that there's something that doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense. Like they're, like one plus two equals five, and you're like, this. There's, some, there's pieces to this that aren't, and so often 
through interplay of how does everyone interact with each other or is there one topic that people are constantly avoiding, you know, um, or, or just knowing that, you know, that someone comes in. This is a common one. I think that you're the one that said that, you know, if someone constantly comes in with the same problem and does not want to actually fix it, there must be something else there. Okay. So let's... What about for you, by the way? Are there any other things that could be, you know... Hmm. I think you said it very well. I think it is a bit intuitive. When things don't add up, they don't add up. Like, for me, when I see a child in a lot of trouble, yeah. I'm immediately curious about the environments. I'm yes. very, I'm wondering yes. what's yes. going on. Because yes. my experience has led me to believe that there's there's children often play out what parents need them to play out. Yeah. And that's a very harsh thing to explain to a parent because no parent yeah. wants to set up their child. Right. But children will just play out whatever you want them to. And um, this is heavy stuff. Like this is deep psychological stuff. And I think that it's okay if you've fallen into that trap. It's a very easy trap to fall into. Yeah. Um, so I'm very yeah. curious by nature. That's my personality. So I ask a lot of questions. And that brings us to coping mechanisms my, I've given the first strategy and I want you to add on to it. The first strategy for me is ask yourself questions. Mm-hmm. So when you do behaviors, is this an act of self-love? Is this an act of self-hatred? If I'm doing acts of self-hatred, something's up. Yeah. So if you find out that you are self-destructive in some way, what can you do? Well, I think that, that, that it's a wonderful thing if you are at the point of your life that you can even ask yourself a question because I think that a lot of people cannot even be curious enough because they don't want to know the answer. And so if you can already do that, you are ahead of the game. That is a wonderful thing to be able to say, I might. Look, maybe I'm doing something. Very few people can do that. That takes a lot of strength, a lot of courage, and a lot of ego strength. Yeah. Because it hurts when we're making a mistake with when our loved ones deal with it. So that would be the first thing is that you ask that question, as you said, and give an honest answer. So say that we found out I'm, you know, I say I love my kids, but I'm spending all my time on my iPad or on my computer and not with my children, and they're needing for attention. We figured out, I think that maybe it's me not giving them enough attention. What would be the next step for people after they say, you know what, it's, I'm drinking too much, or I'm, you know, eating instead of talking to my partner? What would be the next step that they can do once, because that's a big step, like that's actually a really hard step. Yeah. Like you might even have to journal out what's happening and again, journal it out so that analytical part of you, because thinking it, you're using your limbic system and writing it, your analytical part of your brain, the cognitive center that we're so proud of, is now engaged in problem solving. And you need that. Writing it down, it's hard to say, I didn't write that or I didn't say that. The right. limbic system, it's like a three-year-old. Like It'll be like, yeah, I forgot about that. No, I didn't really say it that way. Right. Once you've written it on paper, it's hard to avoid that I wrote this on paper. Yeah. And so you get closer to the truth. So I would right. say write out what's happening. Yeah. To get to that point of yeah. being like, ooh, because once, like really, once you've gotten to I'm drinking too much or I'm not talking to my partner, the rest is kind of easy, no? Like not easy, but not it's easier. straightforward. Yeah. Right? So I yeah. say I'd gotten to that point. What would be the next step for someone? Well, for me, I think I'd be really curious um, or I'd want them to ask about pain. Mm. Because if, oh, you're, like if you're drinking or watching TV. I or, love this. There's pain. Yes. So yes. then you have to ask, what's the pain? Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, I love that because it's not a judgmental response. Yeah, no judgment. That is a loving response. And I think that we often are avoiding looking at what's really wrong because we're worried about our own self-judgment, not even others, but our own self-judgment to that. 
And you just went to such a loving place. Yeah. What is the pain? What's the pain? And it's such a true statement. I love that. That's a beautiful first Thank you. Step. For people beautiful. listening, I think that would be really good right now to mm-hmm. take a moment and think about what's the pain in your life. Oh, and that's a big question. I love that. We have pains in our life. And, we do. And then, you know, maybe once you isolate the pain, what can you do about the pain? Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, I love that. It's hard, though, because sometimes we, what if, like, I'm thinking of people who I see mm-hmm. who might be listening, and they may say, well, I know what the pain is, but I don't think I, there's anything that can be done other than walking out on the marriage, let's say. And they don't want to walk out on the marriage. Mm-hmm. I have clients of mine listening to this show who are having that thought right now. Well, I think that <laughs> the first thing, I think that the first thing that you need to do is like both people, especially if your partner, need to have a really honest discussion with themselves and write down where are their pains and why. Because again, we all have wounds. We all have hurts that we've gone through, which are about us. And if you can reflect on it and really deal with it and say, you know what, if I, you know, the the risk is this marriage could end. You want to say, you know what, if I don't work on this, What have I wished in five years that I had? And when you can look at it that way, then you can say, is this something that I'm willing to do the work that I have to to get myself to the place I need to be? Or am I not? And just honestly, because again, you know, we are all in different stages of our life. But you want to say to yourself, you know what, what can I do to be able to make this different? And hopefully if your partner is willing to say the same thing, now we have things that we can work on. So I guess we have to be careful of the powerlessness of trying to do it yourself. Relationships are two-person dense. They are, and you, one person cannot carry the load all the time. Right. They just can't. Right. So you, you, you would arrive at the fact that this is something the two of you need to talk about, but if your partner's not willing to work on it, and that's what people are afraid of, what then? Well, then you have to have a very serious talk. Yeah. Because sometimes people don't really believe that this is, you know, where I am at and this is what I need to have or not. You need to have that talk. And often people will say to me, no, 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 I know. Um, but it's, it's you know, one of those things that they say, you know what, I, I think that they already know, but they don't really know. You have to be exactly specific. And for men, often that might be even in writing. Um, because they might process that better, but in a language that they can understand and in steps that are achievable. If you need A, B, C, and D, you need to write down. Oh, I love that. How do they achieve A, B, C, and D and oh. write it down? Oh, this you is good cannot, stuff. Women are intuitive. Men are non-intuitive. Now, this is a very general statement, and not all men are non-intuitive. Yeah, because you're going to get some complaints. Of course, of course, but that's not true. But by and large, our societies were divvied up upon that. And so what you want to do is you want to be able to say, this is what it is, and these are the things I need, and break it down like little tiny Ikea steps. Okay, well, this is so important that when we come back from the break, is you're very good at this, this these Ikea steps, as you call it. I'm breaking it down. I remember you telling me examples of that. So yeah, sure. when we come back, can you give some examples of how people can do that? I definitely can. Okay, we'll be right back on Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
join the therapist who is affectionately known as the couple whisperer, Sandra Reich, on her famous couple retreats and change your life forever. Sandra offers couple retreats in beautiful locations several times a year that can radically change your love life. Couples describe her retreats as life-changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring your intimacy to a new level and rediscover excitement and joy. Find out more at helpforanxietydepression.com or call 514-796-4357. We all want love and safety. Now you can have it. Call 514-796-4357 or helpforanxietydepression.com. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety. Featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. We're back on Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. And one of Took, oh, I can't speak. When we took our break, we were talking about Georgia's famous steps in marriage. I didn't know that we were going to end up in marriage, but you know, it's true. We've arrived at the fact that often self destructive behavior does come for many reasons, but definitely if things are difficult in your marriage, that's definitely a big one. So you were talking about breaking down things for men. Mm-hmm. And you or said, women, or you, women. yeah, you yes, said it's yes. a generalization, but you did say that men often, and I have found that in my own marriage, that it's not as clear. So women have a tendency of feeling like, it should be clear. Yeah. Uh, it's not that clear. So what do you mean about steps? What, what do you mean? So say that you need something. I need you to ask me about, like, I want, you know, someone to ask me about my day, to spend time listening to me or to make sure that when they say that they've done something that it gets done and give me a timeline. This is something that for a lot of women, and again, I'm stereotyping, but it could be the other way around. So if you are the person that you find that your wife is doing this, then this would be the same steps to that. So what you do is that you give specifics written down that will remind someone and you put it in a place that is a public place where they will see all the time. Because if they say, you know, ask me about my day, listen, ask me a question about what I've said, turn off the TV when I come into the room, 
often the things that hurt us are not things that are that difficult to change if the person would be constantly reminded, but we feel like a broken record because we're always reminding. This, and it, it, you'd say, a lot of people say to me at the beginning, wow, Georgia, this sounds really stupid that I have yeah. to do this. And people, I was going to say, people are going to say that. Like, you know, there's something wrong with marriage if I have to remind them constantly and be able to deal with that. But often people, period, need reminders about things. And so I remember I did this with my husband and I put him down because whenever I would get sick, he would forget what I, like I would take care of him when he was sick. I thought pretty well, you know, maybe maybe not as much anymore. But um, I thought pretty well and he, would, he wouldn't do the same thing for me. And that made me feel unloved, which hurt me. And so what I did was I printed out what to do when I'm sick. Um, you know, ask me how I'm feeling, bring me a tea, ask if I want a blanket, see if I need a bath, make me a soup, um, take my temperature, bring me my medication. I just wrote it down, a list of like that, not even in any order. And I put it on the fridge. The first time that I was sick after that, and it felt stupid when I put it down, I I understand that He was feeling. open to it, though. He was open to it, and you want them to be open to it. This is not to undermine, this is not to mock. Right. This is this is the things that make me feel good, and you can do the same thing for your partner. Yeah, um, they can do that too. He could write down what he needs from me, right? Maybe it'll be be on time, and if I say I'm going to be at this time back home, be on this time back home. <laughs> like there's a give and take to this. Right, right, right. And um, the first time I got sick, it was on the fridge, right? So he suddenly says, "Do you want to?" He brought me a pillow without me asking, <laughs> but I didn't ask. It was on the fridge, but I felt so loved. Yeah. I was just like. <gasps> And then he's like, do you want a tea? And I'm like, yeah. And then I said, like, you know, I think it said, like, just make me a tea. Don't ask. I was so touched. (laughs) I felt so loved and cared about, even though it was from it was on the board. But when you're learning a new skill, and that's what you're doing, often the skill, to the best way to learn it, would have it broken down in somewhere where someone can remind if they forget how to do the skill properly. And what we're doing is teaching someone a new skill. Because if your family of origin didn't listen or didn't care, or maybe my family of origin when you were upset would ignore you, but in your family of origin it was to give attention to, I might think that I'm being kind to you by ignoring you, and that makes you feel very hurt. So I also might not be from a misunderstanding or from my own wound. Rarely does anyone go into a marriage wanting to destroy it or sabotage it or use self-destructive behavior. Yeah. Sometimes it's more unconscious, even though the person says it can't be unconscious. Right. And so this kind of helps us jump out of our dance. So we're really, you're really talking about teaching people how to treat us. Yes. Like, yes. Really teaching people. Really, really in little tiny steps. There you have it for the therapist, and I, I think that every day in our practice. We have to teach people that, that it's completely normal and acceptable to ask for very specific behaviors. I think you said it so well, is that because I'm married to someone for sure who would think mm-hmm. leaving me alone when I'm stressed or sick would be a very loving thing to do. And for me, yes. it's the worst possible yes. thing you can do. Yes. But now I know he, that's what he wants. Yes. So I leave him alone. Yes. Just don't leave me alone. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, you and I have done the same thing. Right. So when I go through trauma, I say, usually I want to be in my cave. Yes, right? you do. And you said, usually when you're in trauma. But we Call had me. this spoken thing about it so that we knew how to treat each other. Yeah, it's true. Without that, yeah. I could have felt overwhelmed or yeah. you could have felt abandoned. Yeah. And because we had this conversation, you know, um, I went through something sim- like like difficult right recently, and you would send me a little message saying, I'm going to send you a message a day. If it's too much, don't worry about it. Right. If you need it, I'm here. And right. it was perfect. Yeah, it was I'm perfect. glad to hear that. I'm glad to but hear it. that's what's so nice if you can actually speak it. And you're relearning how to do something. 
And so it might seem very obvious, you know, oh my God, but everyone should know to do this when this is, but that's not, everyone doesn't play by the same rule book. And so you're retraining someone, how do I need to be loved and feel cared about and secure? And often people will say, well, I just told them to be loving to me. And I always ask my clients, what does that mean? Because be loving to me in the way I say it will be different than be loving to me is the way that you say it. Right. We all experience love, safety, comfort in totally different ways. So whenever someone tells me I had a good day, I have to ask, what does good mean to you? Yeah. Because I can't interpret it through my eyes. No. It's not going to be accurate. Right. And so if you say to someone, I want you to respect me or if I want you to be, um, you know, responsible... I don't know that that means to pay the bills right away on the date because that might not be what responsible, maybe paying the bills at all was responsible in my family. And so you want to say the specifics to that because often we think we have been very clear, but maybe the other person was too flooded or too upset to even hear it. But having it written down when I'm calm, I can go back and I can do it. And that's the nice thing. It's a gift. It's really a gift. So communication, um, working, finding out the feelings, telling yourself the truth. These are the ways out if someone's listening today and they are still finding that they can't stop their self-destructive behaviors, what, what should they do? Well, I think that, that what you want to do is you want to say first, are, do you want to get rid of the self-destructive behaviors? That is the first thing. Sometimes you really don't. Um, and that's why you might not be really looking at what it is. Do you really want to change? Because change is going to come at a cost. You don't get it all. This is if you're um, wanting, if you're drinking because you want to avoid um, thinking of something that's negative in your head. Well, stopping drinking means you have to avoid that. And so if you're not stopping something that is self-destructive or damaging, you need to ask yourself really honestly, do you want to? Because you might not. Right. If you do want to, maybe you don't know how to get out. How, how or maybe you... you're too hurt and that's your habit to it. How do you make sense of the fact that, you know, our int- intellectual part of our brain will not be happy to find out that we want to do something self-destructive? So how do you make sense of it that, you know, I- I'm tempted to suggest a compassionate response that maybe I'm not ready to give up that self-destructive behavior just yet. It's serving a function and mm-hmm. I'm not ready yet. But what's your opinion on how do you make sense of being self-destructive Um if you're not willing to make those changes? It's a hard thing to do because it's a sense of loss. I'm, I'm not strong enough or I'm not ready yet. And I think that for a lot of people, the reason that they don't even look at self-destructive behaviors is because their ego strength, their own self-esteem may not be high enough or strong enough to even look at that. And I think that a lot of times, especially when I, I deal with teenagers with parents, because your job is to help your, your teen or partners, they often, it will break them to be able to say that they have done this wrong. And that's the way out. But it's also, they might not have a strong enough ego. Their self-esteem may be too low to be able to pay the price that they would have to pay. So it's almost like a game of poker. They may not have enough chips to play this game yet. Right, right, right. Well said. And so they need to work on building up their own self-esteem and feeling of empowerment to be able to make that jump. And if we can do that, then they have enough chips to play the game. So that's where seeing a professional might be helpful. Yes. Or, you know, working with somebody. Or, or even like working out and learning a new skill and get bettering yourself. Like you need to do something to make yourself stronger. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. And it's it's a hard thing to be able to look at, especially if you've 
the person that's most important with you is being damaged by you or that you might lose that, it can be really hard. I don't think, I think that often what happens in couples and with children and parents, they're so angry that they say they're doing this on purpose to hurt me and they're, they become vindictive when really they're probably, the other person's probably in a lot of pain and probably not strong enough to be able to even do it. And it's a hard thing to see when for you, it might be very obvious and the steps are right there in front of you but they may not have the strength to be able to take those steps. And so, you know, if you can be compassionate enough to be able to help support them in building the strength to be able to do it. But with boundaries. Always with boundaries. And there's also always an end point to that, yeah, too, of how you can't do this forever. Yeah. But again, that's the way that they can get out. So you need to build up yourself. You need to get the courage and be able to be strong enough. <laughs> and if you're not exercising or eating well or sleeping... Like, those are the building blocks. You're not so going to be able to, to do much, right? Sleep exercise. Yeah. And so in a lot of self-destructive behaviors, wreck your food, your sleep, your exercise, or maybe under-exercise could be even over-exercise. Self-destructive behaviors can even look really good on the outside. Yeah. I'm eating really healthy. And then uh, we find out obsessive. that healthy means I'm starving myself to oh, death. Oh, God, yeah. Really great points, George. I, I, I really think you brought the self-destructive... Uh, topic home so there is hope right there's There's always hope there's hope to get out of this and again there's being honest with yourself is probably the biggest strategy we talked about today yes i love that one tell yourself the truth yes and you had that other one that i think that you should repeat again is when you found out what your self-destructive behavior is instead of kicking yourself you i don't remember you are loving to yourself and know that yes i'm in pain and ask yourself what's the pain beautiful i love that i love that yeah i think that that is like the key yeah that one what's the pain yeah okay so um you know it is january it's 2018 we're just coming off of the holiday season it is i started the show by talking georgia about how people join gyms and start off strong and then they start to you know fall off a little bit it's normal you know at this time part in the world we don't get a lot of sun we see a lot of seasonal affective disorder people being down um so you know we want to get people back started on healthy behaviors learning those boundaries and consequences which by the way uh, we have a dvd on boundaries and consequences how pretty good yes it is yes it is where would they find that dvd you can uh, look online it's anxiety-videos.com and if they want to reach you they call the center right yeah 514-777-4530 she never knows the number so i have to give it um she always looks at me I like knew it really? that time that time i was going to be able to say it really no oh okay um, that's all the time we have today. Georgia, I want to thank you so much for coming back. It's great to have you back. My thank God, you. I've missed you. Thank you. Uh, you brought so much wisdom. And I'd like to also thank Spa Maneri, uh for sponsoring this show. Uh, talk about getting out of self-destructive behavior, self-destructive behavior. Sometimes the answer is to take some time for yourself and maybe go visit a spa. So if you're in the Montreal area, 514-695-5040. And if you mention Straight Talk with Sandra Reich, you will get 15% off of any services. Um, so thank you again, Georgia. Thank you. Um, I'd also like to thank all of you for listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich, And I'd like to invite you all to come back next week. Um, if you want to find out information about anything we talked about on this show, you can go to helpforanxietydepression.com. You can also get gifts and all sorts of fun stuff on straighttalksandareach.com. Add the forward slash radio gifts. And check out also uh, my Facebook page, Straight Talk with Sandareach. 
Uh, you can leave a question for Georgia and for or and or for myself. And don't forget to like us while you're there. You can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my website, straighttalksandarish.com, on the podcast app of your iPhone and iTunes under Straight Talk with Sandarish. And feel free to drop me a comment or question anytime at info at helpforanxietydepression.com. If you are a professional and you're looking for keynote speakers or training on anxiety, depression, emotional regulation, or living a purposeful life, remember that we are your source for evidence-based practice and education. My name is Sandra Reich, and I promise I'll help you learn to live your best life again next Thursday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, this is Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Keep your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. We hope you've enjoyed today's show and we'll tune in again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go live your best life.